Hi everyone, popping in ahead of this episode to apologize for the quality of sound. It is what it is. We hope you enjoy. In an ideal world, you've read this book, but if you haven't, this is your official spoiler warning. Hey everybody, you are listening to Readers Also Enjoyed, the podcast where we dive into a topic, theme, or vibe by exploring it through four different books. I'm your host, Sophia. And I'm also your host, Adi. So last week we read The Pisces by Melissa Broder, and this week we're covering The Deep by River Solomon for our theme, Mermaids, Mortals, and Two Deep Waters. So obviously I've already read the book, we've talked about it. Um, I read it like months ago. I want to know what you think of the book. I liked it. Um, I gave it a solid 3.5 stars because it kept me entertained. I was surprised at how much it like packed in Mm -hmm. a, how long is this book? It's like a hundred something pages. Yeah. 150 pages or so. A lot of stuff was in this book. It explored, like I didn't come out of the book feeling like, oh, I wish there was more of this. Um, except in one instance, but we'll talk about that later. Um, but yeah, I truly, truly enjoyed this book. It was uh, really interesting. I can't wait to talk about it. I honestly I liked the book the first time I read it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I did look at some reviews and a lot of people were like, I don't even know how to feel about this book. I feel like it was like a fever dream, whatever. And I kind mm-hmm. of understand because like you said, they pack so much into this like really short book. Um, yeah. I think for me, I, I, I actually liked how quickly everything passed. Um, but also because we were like, essentially studying the book for the podcast it was easy for me to like process everything whereas I'm sure if someone was just reading it for pleasure they'll like yeah get through the book really quickly and be like what the fuck did I just read but I totally understand yeah yeah I mean I don't know I saw a bunch of negative reviews saying that um they got lost a lot and like they didn't know what was going on I don't agree with that at all I don't know maybe it was like I don't know. I mean, there was one point where I was like, "Who, who's talking? <laughs> like, who is yeah. this? <laughs> yeah. But like, besides that, uh, I thought that it was pretty easy to follow. I don't know. How was your experience with that? I mean, same. I think it was, I think it was pretty easy to follow whenever there was like a perspective shift. It, mm-hmm. it was like a little jarring in the beginning, but it wasn't like, I mean, it was always in the, in the beginning of a new chapter. So it wasn't mm-hmm. like, it was like too hard to catch up. Um, mm-hmm. I really liked it. Like, there's a lot about this book that I really liked. I, unlike you, wish there was more of this book. I'm going to be totally honest. I finished this book being like, okay, I need more. I need more of the backstory elements. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, like, like you said, we'll talk about it later. <clears throat> mm-hmm. I think like the most interesting thing about this book is the, is the like story of how it came to be. Okay, so in the afterword of the book... Um, mm-hmm. It's actually written by Clipping, uh, which is Mm -hmm. uh, the American experimental hip-hop group from L.A. uh, that consists of rapper David Diggs that we know from Hamilton and Grownish and producers uh, William Hudson and Jonathan Snipes. And uh, basically to talk about how this entire like story from beginning to end, not the actual novel, um, but the story of how this story came to be in the first place uh, is like a, a long game of telephone that started with a band or an, uh, an electronic duo called Drexia uh, that released an album in 1992 that basically describes uh, uh, an underwater like Community. society uh, formed of like water breathing descendants of uh, pregnant enslaved Africans thrown overboard. Clipping years later uh, were uh, commissioned to write a song that like um, that's kind of like a continuation of the of the album uh, by the uh, podcast This American Life, and then eventually Clipping collaborated with River Solomon to write the story to continue and like broaden uh, like the basis of the story. And yeah, I think it's really interesting that like this basically this story goes all the way back to like 1992 from like an obscure like deep sea themed. Uh, electronic techno album. group yeah yeah and then all the way to like river solomon just writing this like amazing story about essentially the same thing but like adding more depth to it which I thought yeah was really it's cool. a, definitely a book that's been kind of conceived within a collective which 
echoes the themes of the book itself, like the story itself. So uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, speculative fiction, right? Because this book is, uh, it does fall under the umbrella term of specfic. Mm-hmm. Um, so what this is basically is uh, a, an umbrella term for non-realist genres. In essence, uh, speculative fiction asks what if questions that kind of imagine a world that's distinct from our own and often it has a specific purpose. It has an idea that it wants to explore, a theme that it wants to explore, uh, but through the eyes of a different world. So what, um, Adi, I don't know if you know of any other sort of popular specfic books stories that maybe our listeners would know some that i thought of are maybe the handmaid's tale which kind of switches okay. one thing in our world and uh looks at a uh, a specific topic as in you know uh the subjugation of women through this like you know altered world mm-hmm. um the hunger games for sure um never let me go i haven't read the book i've seen the movie but never let me go by kazuo ishiguro and Mm -hmm. one that i found online is a midsummer night's dream i would not have thought of that as spec fic but i guess it makes sense yeah i don't know if that's that would have been my go-to for like (laughs) recommendations in this genre but that's interesting that's food for thought yeah yeah for spec fic i think this is like a really interesting story to be fair um, hmm definitely. Let's yeah. delve into it. What is this book about? Okay. Okay, so a little bit of backstory uh, for this book. Let's talk about the Wajinru. The Wajinru are the descendants of pregnant enslaved African mothers who drowned during the uh, transatlantic slave trade. Their descendants evolved into mermaid-like beings who live in the deep of the ocean. Uh, so the Wajinru as a collective don't know about their origin. They're, they have like a, I think at this point. An like interesting in story, structure to their society. Yeah. They have an interesting structure to their society. Um, and at this point in the story, it's like, like it's, they allude to like the Wajinru having a predisposition for like memories fading after like a few weeks mm-hmm. or a few months. Um, and, uh, like, I mean, I think it's like a, there's like a question of whether this is inherent or deliberate, like throughout the book. Um, but what they don't remember in their memories, they remember through their bodies. The one person who was burdened with the history of remembering the past 600 years of their existence, essentially, uh, is the historian. Uh, they're tasked to carry the memories of their foremothers so that the others didn't have to carry that burden. And I think this is where we meet Yetu, our main character, who is the historian in this at this point of the book. Yeah. So I do want to say, before we get into Yetu, that um, there is a historian per kind of generation. So she's yeah. the, the this generation, the current gener- generation's uh, historian. The book is kind of set up in an interesting way in which we get Yetu's current state, mm-hmm. uh, her where she is now in the present, um, but we also live through the memories of uh, the previous historians, um, which we will get to later. But so yeah. let's start now here. We are with Yetu, who has just been rescued by her mother from being eaten by sharks because she floated out towards uh, dangerous territory out of basically despair. Yeah, I think this is a good place to like include the trigger warning. Um, yes, Trigger warning for sure. Go ahead, Addy. Yeah, okay, so this doesn't happen throughout the book. I think it's just in this part of the book, but uh, trigger warning, there are there is a suicide attempt. Um, I think it's implied more than it is like like specifically uh, that Yetu is trying to commit suicide because she's kind of consciously going towards the sharks because uh, being the historian sucks. You're like, yeah, for her yeah. specifically, it sucks. Previous historians have have been able to cope with it and bear it, but she is like extra, yeah, but she's like very, very sensitive, both physically and like emotionally. She's very, very sensitive. So she's suffering, which is 
she's suffering and it's one of the one of the reasons why the previous historian gave her this this i was gonna call it a gift but i don't want to call it a burden either but like you know all of this was placed on her because he was he he or she we don't actually know the gender of the but um the previous historian but um they saw the sensitivity in her and thought that she would be perfect for this yeah but she's not, yeah. okay? She's definitely not. So at 14 years old, she was made the historian. She's now 34, yep. 20 years later. Yes. She's just been suffering. Yes. So she floats out into uh, like shark-infested waters, and her mother or her amaba, as the society calls mothers, uh, saves her from her attempted mm-hmm. suicide um, to take part in the ceremony called the Remembrance, which is where mm-hmm. for one day out of the year... Uh, the other Wajinru uh, will be given their memories back through electric charges and sonar waves. I'm going to be totally honest. Yeah. Didn't get this much. Like, I didn't get this that much, the whole, like, communicating through electric charges and sonar waves, but I kind of just went, like, I'm just going to believe you. Um, so, yeah. Did you feel like it was not very believable? It kind of took me out of the book for a second because I was just, but I was like, okay, but how? Okay. <laughs> I don't understand. Because in my head, I was like, are they constantly communicating through electric charges and sonar waves? What about communicating in that way gives back memories? But I was like, I'm thinking too hard. It's fine. Let's just move on. I think it's um, kind of like a psychic thing, if you think about it like that. Maybe. It's more It's more of like a psychic um, deliverance. <laughs> um, Fair enough. Let's pause here and talk about the, her relationship with her mom. Yeah. It's a difficult one. For sure. Uh, she is described as overbearing, which I understand in a way, because yeah. your daughter is the historian, you know? Yeah. So she's always just kind of like on top of her. So she has a difficult relationship uh, with her, which in a way reflects how she can't really connect to anyone within her society, within her community. Yeah. She stands apart because of her role and because of the physical toll that it has on her she's basically in a coma most of most of her life it's almost like an occupational hazard she just can't like because of her role no one can relate to her no one can understand the pain that she's going through and they also like yeah uh like idolize her a little bit so they don't see her for who she is they only see as a person yeah 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 Um, there's i have a quote here that says just to help kind of contextualize it a little bit better um, where she says, where, um, where Amaba recalled a vague, difficult relationship, Yetu still felt the violent emotions her Amaba had provoked in her, knew the precise script of ill words exchanged between them. So she's had, uh, like, what I'm inferring from this is that she's had, like, fights with her. The There's definitely, like, misunderstanding between them. Again, her mother is ignorant to, like, her suffering. So she remembers all that stuff, but her mama does not Literally remember that stuff. <laughs> mother-daughter yeah. relationship. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so relatable, yeah. right? I feel like this is, this is a really good uh, way to hook the reader into having some sympathy for this, like, strange aquatic creature. Like, it humanizes her a lot. Yeah. But sure. um so she's been woken up to uh deliver the the rememberings, right? Mm-hmm. So she has to go to the ceremony. She says one could only go for so long without asking who am I and where do I come from. So this is like this is justifying why the Wajinru should partake in the cer- in the ceremony at all. Yeah, at some point they're describe she describes it as like having a cavity and it needs to be filled. Yeah. That's what it feels like. It's just that the cavity empties out slowly, slowly mm-hmm. over the year, and then it needs to be refilled again. Yeah. Um, really interesting, man. I don't know if I could, like, imagine not having to deal with your trauma every day except for one day out of the year. <laughs> like, you only have to remember <laughs> one day. It sounds kind of nice, yeah. honestly. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, but, yeah. the the Wajinru are having an ace time. Oh they're God, having they're a like great time. <laughs> Yeah, they don't have to worry about everything. They're just like live in the moment. Everything is great. No, for real. Like, and then like, life at the bottom just, of the like, sea, struggling in the corner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, how um, 
what did you think of Yetu in this like beginning part, Addy? Oh my god, immediately. I felt so bad for her. Um, yeah. Because it's, that's a lot. That is such a heavy burden, especially when you're talking about like, not just 600 years of like history in general, but 600 years of history where your people are like, like suffering. Um, yeah. In the worst ways. I, this like, because I feel like it's that thing of uh, people don't really know how bad slavery was. Like it's always yeah. watered down. Uh, like, yeah. especially when you're like learning it like in school and stuff. So if you're mm-hmm. just stuck with the memories of like every terrible thing that's ever happened to your ancestors as like a, you know, a black person who is descended from African slaves, that sucks. That's terrible. Yeah. I can only imagine. So for sure, I felt yeah. like a lot of like sympathy. For and it's too. not just like witnessing it because they do harvest memories from the slaves thrown overboard. So mm-hmm. she's literally experiencing it. Yeah. Yeah. I like first right. person insane yeah first person um reliving the those moments on the ships and stuff so for me i agree with everything that you said i did think that she came off a little bit naive in the beginning right before the ceremony when she's given a gift it's wrapped or not wrapped but they've like thrust the gift into like the stomach of a squid um (laughs) as like for it to be like like as a wrapping and they give it to her and she kind of gets really sensitive about like the creature you know and they tell her oh no don't worry like we found it dead we were pretty sure like it just drifted off to sleep and she says something like what does she say like, why Why can't everything be like that? Just gentle and easy with no pain, no sacrifice. And I'm just kind of like, if you have 600 years of memories in like playing out loud in your brain all the time, m- maybe you should understand why nothing yeah. is gentle and easy and with no, yeah. like, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, but yeah, no, otherwise I do, I do like her. It is interesting how she literally doesn't really have a personality like outside of like her her pain it's what she says of like i'm just a, a vessel for the ancestors she really is she doesn't really have anything yeah. about herself that we the, the, that the reader knows about until later like she doesn't have you know she doesn't have <laughs> no we literally don't know who she yeah. is we have no idea who she is we just know what she's going through like we just know that she's suffering yeah. um and that's mm-hmm. not really your identity um yeah absolutely. yeah which is a big theme in this book yeah so what happens during the ceremony Addy? so okay so during the ceremony it's like the one moment where through electric charges uh yetu releases the memories for the other wajinru to take uh essentially and mm-hmm. uh there's a moment where she's free of the history where like everything is quiet and she doesn't have to feel it anymore um and in this moment, uh, she's like, I don't want to be here anymore, so I'm just going to leave. Uh, yeah, she dips. <laughs> she dips. Um, <laughs> and I kind of understand. Because <laughs> she... Honestly, yeah. same. No, I kept real. saying it. That's exactly what I would do. <laughs> Bro, 20 years. 20 years straight of the suffering. Absolutely not. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, Yetu's even, like, talking about how she's like, I would die if I had to do this again. I can't do it again. Yeah. I'm leaving. Uh, so yeah, she leaves. to take back the memories with the what did I say? Did I say memories? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, to, to take back the rememberings would be to commit suicide. Yeah, to live I must flee is basically yeah. what she says. Yeah. Um, and the book leaves us here for a little bit and moves on to our first historian, our first the Wajinru, first the OG one. Yeah, the OG. Zoti. Mm-hmm. So what's interesting about uh, this part of the book is that, and the parts of the book that are like this, is that for um, Yetu's perspective, we are in third person limited, but we switch or rather shift into first person where the pronoun is a collective we, uh, because now we are living in a memory. 
So it is a collective experience that we're that, that we're reading about here, and it makes the reader a part of the ceremony that the Wajinru yeah. society is is you know they're receiving these memories. We are also a part of that now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are seeing through the memory just like they do. So yeah, it's an interesting device to use to shift uh, from first person to. To, to from third person to first person and use a collective we I haven't read this in a book before have you no I haven't I, I like that's why I think what, what I found so interesting is that it was the first time I'd ever read this in a book um mm-hmm. I do think this is where uh the book and the song the deep by the by clipping kind of merge mm-hmm. because throughout mm-hmm. the song uh they're also using what'd you say it was first person what it's first person Oh, okay, whatever. First person. First person with a collective a we pronoun. Yeah. Um, and I just think it's so cool because we're following Yetu and then immediately we're like, oh, we're in the, we're in the remembering. Like, we're in the remembrance uh, with everybody else. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, really cool. Yeah. So uh, at this point in the book, uh, as we said, there's a perspective shift and now we are part of... Um, Zoti's like ex- like we're, we're experiencing Zoti's like life essentially um, mm-hmm. and we're seeing the origin of uh, the Wajinru so uh, early Wajinru were taken in by whales who act as the second mothers and uh, they call them Skalu um, so the whales will uh, feed the Wajinru will bond with them They'll take them to like the the deepest depths of the ocean where they'll be safer. Um, uh, however, at this point, um, uh, Zoti's pod has died. Her brothers, her sisters, they're they're dead now, and uh, Zoti's like kind of like roaming the ocean alone, and eventually uh, like reaches like a little bit closer to the surface to get some food, where she meets Watch. Uh, a surface dweller who is on the verge of death, and they eventually save them. Okay, so um, Zoti saves uh, Waj by taking her to the shore, and they start talking. Uh, Waj teaches Zoti words in her language, and you know Zoti is very like curious about her, and she tells Zoti, "My name is Waj," and Zoti's like, "What does that mean?" And Waj just starts singing because her name means a song Mm -hmm. and Zoti falls in love with her which is so cute Mm. um Zoti has a bunch of questions for her like what is belonging and other existential things she feels Zoti is very very lonely um because she's literally by herself and she's so alone that she pretends the pressure of the deep is the embrace of another, which is so freaking sad. Like, okay. Anyway, so she has this relationship with Waj. Waj eventually is like, see ya, gotta go to my homeland. Mm -hmm. And Zoti is kind of adrift. And she finds, she comes across like pups, like little, little, little Wajinru. They don't yeah. have this name baby yet. Wajinru. They're unnamed. She's, yeah. yeah, just baby Wajinru with a whale. And she helps uh, raise them and she names them all after the words that she learned from Waj. And Zoti is slowly becoming like the queen of her growing community. And because she knows most everything, she knows yeah. most uh, out of all of them, she's crowned the historian. So the city kind of... She starts to build a city. Mm-hmm. Uh, their languages, their language gets more complex, and yeah, that's where Zoti is now. But then, everybody wants her to stay put, but she can't stay put. She never stays. She's always going out into the ocean looking for more of her kind, and she wants. She basically her mission is is that she doesn't want to she doesn't want anybody else to feel abandoned the way that she did or lonely the way that she did yeah. when she was alone, and she also wants to learn more about like where they come from like how, like what their origin mm-hmm. is, um, mm-hmm. and, like and her and I think like Zoti's goal is to learn how to create a more stable future, uh, yeah, like for the community. a happy stable future, yeah, yeah, um, and because of this. Uh, she 
she also goes out looking for more Wajinru because she says, we need more workers, more builders, more Zotia Leyu, <laughs> which is like, which is so, like, please, capitalism, we right? Can't like, underwater capitalism. capitalism. No, you can't. Um, but in her travels, as she's uh, going out and about, she overhears people on ships talking and she learns about the slave trade. Then she witnesses a pregnant woman being thrown overboard and witnesses the uh, birth of a Zoti or a Wajinru. Yeah. And that's, the, that's how she finds out where they come from. Yeah. Um, she, so she helps kind of coax the, the little pup out and she takes it with her back to, to where the society yeah. is being built. And that's like her new baby. Yeah, that's, that's her new baby. Is that Aj? Yeah, that's Aj. No. Oh, no way. Okay, I didn't, I didn't put that together. Like, Aj is born. She's his Amaba. But then as she's bearing the mother, the other Zoti, like, find her because they don't want her to leave so that some of them followed her. And ah, okay. uh, they find her and they find out what happened. And, like, they start, like, making a storm out of their grief. And mm. Zoti's like, mm-hmm. oh, I don't want my people to be, like, this burdened by this history. Like... Mm-hmm. For the safety of like them and just general, I think there's like their surroundings in general as well. Um, that's when she, that's when Zoti decides that uh, like she wants her people to live in joy. She wants them to be uh, like this is when she names them the Wajinru, uh, which mm. means like we are a song and we are together. Um, and we she are tells a song Aj, and we are together. Yeah. Yeah. And she tells so Aj, um, she's like, I, yeah, I don't want I don't want people to carry this history. I only want one person to like like carry this history i guess know the um, truth yeah like, this is where i got confused and you have to like, explain it to me a little bit because i was just like i don't understand how history gets passed down from one person to another um mm. or like how, like how people can just choose to forget something but i'm assuming it's not a choice i think it just happens and okay. she does say that it does say in the book that uh she encouraged she encouraged them to forget um yeah what they know so i think it just kind of like happens um and (laughs) the yeah and the the giving over of the 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 title of historian is basically the psychic thing it's it's like a psychic here's everything that's ever happened to us in the past 600 years you carry that yeah before i die you carry that now yeah yeah and that's the basically the origin of the species okay and then we're going back to Yetu, who has been swimming and swimming, trying to get away. <laughs> like, she is being yeah. battered by the waves. She's being hit across, like, uh, um, against rocks. Yeah, because they've never been this high up, I'm assuming. Yeah, I don't think Yetu has. But um, yeah. so she's, like, on the surface now. Um, and she's feeling very disoriented and very sensitive to light and breathing feels weird and just like she's very like just not nothing is right she says sounds sound very different here she's like I can't feel them properly because uh, Wajinru feel through their whole body like they have like a whole body experience when they have conversations Um, but she feels guilty for leaving her people with the full weight of the history she isn't there to guide them through it which is also part of you know her duty of like yeah. to show them the way so that they're not think, like lost in it i think it's funny because she left them with the memory like with the remembrance of the history because she's like i was suffering i was suffering i don't want to suffer yeah. anymore and then she leaves just to suffer again physically and then mentally because she feels guilty <laughs> like yeah i just think exactly. it's funny she like yeah. jumps from one state to the other um yeah but obviously she's like she, she she ends up being a bit okay afterwards because she ends up like in a tidal pool. Uh, and like, she ends down. up in a tidal pool. She doesn't. She 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 didn't get herself there. I'm pretty sure. Did she get herself there, or no, I think she, so did she the kids up, help her? I think they. I think the kids just like because she was half dead. I think they found her like half mm-hmm. dead, not conscious, mm-hmm. and then they pushed mm-hmm. her into the tidal pool. So she's just in this like pool now. She's just like chilling in her pond. Mm-hmm. trying to recover she feels very tired because of all the swimming battered because you know the journey was rough yeah. and despite all of this she's finally feeling that her mind is 
quiet and she's just left with herself and even though she doesn't understand who she is because she's never had the chance to really explore that she's calm in in the quiet of her mind and uh, we find out that she has been rescued by children and fed by them by way of Ori, who is a fisherwoman who is always out on her boat. She basically lives on it. And she brings fish to these families sometimes. And this family of kids were like, we will help you eat. Here is fish. I love how all the humans are just like, oh, okay, you exist. Let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> none of them are panicking. None like the of them are screaming. The kids I kind okay. of understand, but like the adults, I'm just like, because the kids I can, I can see them being like, like, what do you know to know that that's weird? Do you know what I mean? I feel like you're still learning about life, but like the adults were just like, oh, I guess the, my kids are just hanging out with this fucking like sea creature that I've never seen before. And do the adults cool know? Well, Uri does. Only, yeah, only Uri. And Uri's why is Uri cool, cool with it? it? Like, Uri was cool know. with it. Wad doesn't care. Like, Wad calls Zoti strange fish. Explain. She's yeah, like, I don't care. wait. <laughs> that is so cute, though, because, I mean, honestly, I felt like... The, can I just... Okay, can we take a pause here? I feel like the whole Wadj thing... Wadj is the one who uh, was rescued by uh, Zoti, Zoti yeah. in the previous chapter. I didn't get the sense that Wadj was appreciative enough Oh, yeah. Of Zoti rescuing her. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I felt like the the feelings of love that Zoti had for Waj were very one-sided. But yeah. then again, what are you going to do? Are you going to stay on this random ass island uh, with, with, with like this fish person mm-hmm. um, when you know that you, when you could return to your homeland? I don't know. Also, okay. Anyway, do you think that Zoti fell in love with Waj because Waj was like the only person they could communicate with for a very yeah. long time? Like, do you yeah. know what I mean? Of course, if you yeah. only met one other person, you're gonna fall in love with them. I don't know if that necessarily yeah. means that. Yeah. True. Kind of True. Understand. No, you're right. You're right. Also, Zoti um, like gets yeah. her own. Like they get their own eventually. Because there's a scene we didn't talk about. Oh yeah, it. for sure. But eventually, they become, yeah, like, a lover. she mates. <laughs> so, yeah, like, she mates. She they're mates. okay. But yeah. yeah, she's fine. She's fine. Um, anyway. Yes, back to Yetu. So she um, uh, is being fed by these children, uh, thanks to Ori, who brings in the fish. Um, Ori becomes a central character here in uh, Yetu's out-of-water experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's described as being very self-possessed, which impresses Yetu. She wants to t- she wants to be that kind of like take no shit person yeah. She's very um aspirational. Uh, yeah she's she's very aspirational because she wants to basically decide her fate for herself mm. as i said earlier she feels like she's just kind of like a vessel for the ancestors but yeah. she does get lonely she does miss the deep um obviously it's not natural for her to be in a shallow pool of water um yeah. it's not natural for her to be outside of the water at all yeah. um but she gets a little lonely. But then, you know, her and Ori kind of start cultivating a relationship. Mm-hmm. Ori visits her more and more. And Yetu looks forward to their talks. Ori tells her about uh, how she's the last of her people. Um, and they have an interesting conversation here where Yetu realizes that the word kinship means two different things to to each of them so to ori it meant staying with and taking care of her mother even though she hated her Mm -hmm. and to yetu it meant uh isolation from her people as she tried to cope with the rememberings so that's an interesting linguistic and cultural difference Mm uh that we look at here yeah they also have like their own experiences with their own communities because Yetu is someone who, fair enough, was isolated from her community, but because of like the burden of being the historian, like it was so difficult, she abandoned them. Um, whether yeah. you like sympathize with Yetu or not, that is essentially what she did. She did abandon them. Um, yeah. And Uri like lost her community, uh, and lost her culture and her like history, 
so mm-hmm. I can see how it is different, like how kinship means two different things for them. Because for Yetu, yeah. part of her community in the role that she's in is suffering. And for Uri, mm. like because she's lost so much, despite like how difficult her relationship is with her own mother, she's like, you're all I have, so I have to take care of you. Like, yeah. I have to nurture you, basically. So I kind of understand yeah. why it's different um, and why they have like different yeah. outlooks on community as well. But, yeah, definitely. Um, Uri and Yetu have a fight because Ori says, you know, she wishes she had the memories of her people who were called the Oshuben. Um, she says, I wish I had uh, the memories of my people because she doesn't know much about them at all. She doesn't remember their stories, their language, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So she and Yetu kind of come at a clash where Yetu says, no, sorry, Uri says, uh, how could you leave behind something like that? Doesn't it hurt not to know who you are? Um, and Yetu says, no, I am who I am now before I was nothing. I think they're both valid. Well, both absolutely. of them are right. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I understand why why Yetu kind of rejects uh, Ori's perspective and vice versa. Like, I get it. This is yeah. very valid. But I do think, like, Uri makes an impression on Yetu in the sense that, like, Yetu does start questioning her own decision to leave. I mean, she never stopped questioning her decision to leave. Yeah, but I think because it was her first moment of freedom, like, she was still, of course, like, she was having those questions, but she was still encouraging herself to be like, no, you don't have to go back. Like, stay here, you're finally free. And I think it's, like, this discussion that she has that kind of, like, tips the scales a little bit uh, in favor of her returning. for sure. But yeah, Uri is, like, justifiably upset. Um, yeah. When I was reading this, I kept thinking of like Uri's character being an allegory in some way for like kind of like the Black American experience because like you don't have the connection to your people anymore and it does isolate you. Yeah. A bit. Oh my God, Addie. Yes. <laughs> okay, but this also okay. This is also I'm very worried in about a, talking yeah, about this we don't. because both of us are Black women, but neither yeah. of us are Black American women. And neither of us yeah. know what it's like to be a black American person, uh, not having ties to your, like, like where your ancestors yeah. came from, whatever. Like, I can see how that's yeah. totally isolating. Like, Yetu, Yetu's experience, I can see that being the experience of a lot of people who have, like, experienced things like apartheid, who have experienced, like, firsthand, like, how colonialism ex- uh, affected them and how they see the effects of it today. Do you know what yeah. I mean? I think it's complicated, but... Yeah. The entire time I was like, yeah. I feel like Solomon is like trying to get at this, but yeah. obviously you can only do so much in like a hundred something pages. Um, yeah. But yeah. I and is already doing a lot. And is already doing yeah. a lot. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, these are questions that I asked throughout like reading this section in particular, like this particular like disagreement um, that mm. Yetu and Ori have. Anyway. Um, after the, dis- the, the disagreement, the, the argument, Ori leaves, but then comes back after a while. And they kind of start confessing their feelings for each other in a sort of roundabout, but very obvious way. They talk about Wajinro anatomy, and apparently they can have both mating parts, depending on what their partner needs or prefers or whatever so i honestly i really like this part it was really really sweet because there was like a near kiss moment but then ori is just like i can't do this i gotta go um i love it so gay (laughs) yeah like nobody wants to make a move i love it yeah nobody wants to make a move um but it was so sweet and there's a there's you know there's a moment where um ori's uh well getu says yeah, we do things like that, you know, like, you know, the, mm-hmm. the freaky stuff. But um, <laughs> it's only with, like, people that mean, you know, that are special to us. And or he's like, am I special to you? And then Yetu says, yes. And then Ori says, you know, you're special to me, too. And it's just so cute. It's that, um, I definitely got the feel when I was reading that. It was so cute. I but, love this yeah. section of the book. Amazing. And, uh, but yeah, she backs off and she says, um, I can't, I can't do this. And in the backdrop of this scene, uh, we have a wild storm brewing. As yeah. we said earlier, the Wajanu have the ability to affect the weather. Yeah. 
especially if they're like really like upset yeah, yeah. big feelings yeah. or big storm yeah in this case it's a manifestation of their grief uh of the of you know the collective who has been left with the remembrance with yeah, the, you know remembering long. all the stuff this is like a lot longer than they've ever like held it for so yeah and it's all together and she's not there to guide them again they're just mm-hmm. kind of like in uh, you know um yeah just freaking out and seeing this ori decides that she's gonna go on a pilgrimage to her homelands because she wants to protect uh the gravesite right like she's scared that the yeah, yeah. she wants to protect this great the 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 gravesite but you know also i think she visits often you yeah, know, it's yeah. like her. It's like a thing that she does. Yeah. Um, worried about Uri and feeling, you know, this deep guilt about abandoning her people and seeing the manifestation of what that has done. Mm-hmm. Yetu decides to go back to the deep and save them from the torment of remembering, and Uri from basically drowning because the storm is getting wilder and wilder, and my girl is out on a boat. Like, um. Yeah, there's no way she didn't think that Yetu's gonna come and save her. Like, there's just no way. Honestly, same. That's exactly what I thought. She's she like, I'll be fine. Anyway, yeah. At this point, Yetu decides she's gonna she's gonna try and fix everything, and then yeah. we cut to the historian Basha's perspective. Yeah, we are back in, in first person collective we, yeah. and this is a. Another historian, uh, if we imagine that uh, Zoti was the first one, Basha's like somewhere, like sometime before Yetu. Yes, maybe a little after the middle, but he's Mm -hmm. somewhere there. So a little like analysis of Basha. He is ruthless. He's prone to violence. He loves the remembrance. Like he loves the history that he holds on to. Like complete like 180 from Yetu. He like I can give you a quote for this if you want. Yeah, go ahead. So the quote here is where the history sat in others, we felt only a glorious burning anger. Like he, that's how he feels like about the remembering for it a little bit. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. he has a lover Ephra. And uh, at this point in the in their like history, some children have been killed by bombs. Uh, and I think the bombs are uh, like human beings trying to mine for oil. So they're like sending bombs mm-hmm. in the deep sea. And children have been killed. And uh, Basha and Ephra at this point know that the humans are the culprits. And Ephra yeah. begs Basha to speak to the council and uh, their leader, Omju. Uh, so I think throughout their history, like uh, political, like, like government structures will change. So in this point in their history, they have a leader and they have a council that the leader put together. Basha doesn't really have a lot of respect for the leader or the council. He kind of like does his own thing. None. Yeah, he's like, he, kinda, yeah. he does his own thing. And then uh, it's because of like Ephra's like pleading that he's like, fine, I'll speak to the council. And obviously this ca- the council don't listen. And Basha's like- But what, what, is he, what is he vying for? What, what does he want from them? War. He wants, them to, he wants war. <laughs> Literally, yeah. he, you, you said this uh, at some point as well. Uh, he gives like general, like military general vibes, like war general yeah. vibes. Um, yeah. And he's like, I want to go to war. Like, what are we waiting for? The council mm-hmm. and Omju don't listen. And Basha takes matters into his own hands at this point and gathers uh, 25,000 Wajinru, 25,000 strong. Uh, and he tells them that people are coming to mine for oil and that they'll kill everyone if they have to. And uh, gives the Wajinru... Uh, their memories back in this moment to kind of like yeah he gives them enough so that they like get riled up and really yeah. angry and ready to like in, you know to go to war yeah so yeah. this is like the Wajinru this is like their retaliation against the humans and this mm-hmm. is what causes the tidal war mm-hmm. what I would do for more like a, an exploration into the story like what i would do for a spin-off yeah. i know we're i don't know if we're on the same page with this to be fair like i think we have like differing opinions but i would love to hear more about basha i'd love to hear more about the title war i understand why we were given what we were given 
Um, Look, I for me, it's more that like I got enough to understand what I needed to understand. If it yeah. were to become like a full length, maybe novella or book just about Basha and his POV and the title wars, I would have wanted it to be like some kind of like, like I want romance to be like strong in that storyline. Oh, yeah. Like I want to know more about Basha and Efros. Like, I want to know more about them. Yeah, 100%. What we get from Ephra and Basha, I already liked. I thought it was very cute. I um, love it. It's so, like, he's, like, so protective. Yeah. <laughs> he's, like, he's, at some point, he says that uh, uh, they're, like, like about to, like, attack or something, or they're gathering, and he says that Ephra's is always in my line of view. He never leaves my line of view. Like, he's not allowed to leave my line, you know? Let's get out of here. That's so cute, man. I can't. <laughs> it is so cute. Um, yeah, I, it, it's, like... Uh, Basha gives like uh, I hate everyone but you to Ephra yes which I, re- I think yeah. it's so cute and makes so much sense for his character <laughs> like again we get him for what one chapter and I, I know like yeah. so much about ba- like I know enough about Basha like I'm already yeah. rooting for him I love it so uh, as Addy said um, Basha overthrows the leader of the Wajinru who is Omju. He kills him. He doesn't just overthrow them, he, oh he kills him. And yeah. he says, yeah, he says that um, he's harvesting his memories before they fade. Like, he's dead. He's like, before he, he like, the memories fade away, I'm going to harvest them. Mm-hmm. Which, okay, this begs the question of who decides whose memories are worthy of harvest and mm-hmm. how do they decide and how does this shape the rememberings and the history and in turn the society? This is like something that I was kind of like, okay, but how do you decide? How obviously he's like a leader, but does that mean that you harvest everybody's memories? Mm-hmm. Um, like even like the common folk? That's a totally valid question. Cause I didn't think of it as I, like this is I'm assuming the first time where they even like imply that uh, memories are something that can be harvested. I thought it was more mm-hmm. like, um, no, because um, yeah. uh, Zoti does the same with the with the with the with the slave woman that uh, gives birth to the Wajinru. So this this idea of like harvesting them, it's it's there. I just want to know how you decide. How do you decide to harvest someone's memories? Like the common farmer, for example, or like, I don't know if they have farmers down there, but like <laughs> the common, like, I don't know, the common hunter, because we know that they have hunters. Like, does, do, do they need all of those memories? And in that case, you'll, you're just like living like billions of lives if you're like, you know what I mean? That's a lot of memory. Like, how do you decide whose memories are precious and like you need? Um, to carry on like the ancestral yeah yeah okay now I have more questions though because if we're talking about like memories or something that you harvest how do any of the historians have the memories of their like their human ancestors I think that's because of the slaves that were thrown over overboard oh so they like harvest because once yeah, so once okay. Zoti found that uh, pregnant women were being thrown over, over overboard, she knew kind of like who to follow, like what boats to follow, the routes and stuff like that. She kind of right. knew whereabouts they're going to start throwing people overboard. This so is disgusting. Yeah, so Zoti was actively looking for, yeah, and they were harvesting the, the before they faded, same way Basha does like before the memories fade. Um, okay. In that case, that I understand. I just don't understand how they decide who. I guess, yeah, I guess it's up to, like, the historians. But for someone like Yetu, who's literally in a coma the entire time... Her what, generation like, won't have how... any memories. <laughs> yeah, like... What? <laughs> her generation will have know. her memories of her attempts of suicide. That's, like, all the, the memories yeah. they're gonna have, bro. Uh, and then, I'll, but, yeah. well, at this point in time... Obviously, we still have the rest of the story to, like, um, address. But yeah, mm-hmm. very interesting mm-hmm. question. Um, yeah. After Basha's perspective, uh, we come back to uh, Yetu, who at this point has decided to return, um, and, like, sees now <laughs> that, like, her suffering is worth it if it means, like, she's, like, you know, she's connected to people again. She can save her mom. She can save Uri. Um, 
and she can be part of like her collective. Mm-hmm. And when she gets there, everybody looks super malnourished because she's been gone for three weeks. These people have been in a coma for like three weeks. No food, no hunting, no nothing. They're thin, sickly looking. Apart. Yeah. So when she returns, yeah, she sees all like you know all these people suffering, and she's like, "It's fine. I'm gonna come, and I'm gonna take the memories back." And before she can do that, her amaba like comes to and uh, hmm. stops her from taking all of the memories. And this is like a really like meaningful moment for Yetu because for the first time, I think since she became the historian, her mom is like, I understand. Like, I understand what you've been going through. And yeah. um, I think there's another way. Like, I don't think you should take the memories back. And Yetu, at this point, she she hears her, her amaba. She hears her mother saying this. And she's like, no. I, I threw my ancestors away. I abandoned everything. And then her mom says, you didn't throw them away. You lived. Our survival honors the ancestors more than any tradition, which is such a lovely quote. Yeah. And so true. Yeah. I love this part. Yeah. No, it was amazing. So Yetu is there, like, in the middle of kind of heart, like, taking back the rememberings when she hears her mom. And then... She stops. She's like, okay, maybe I will not take all of it back. Maybe I will share this because I Mm -hmm. don't really want to do this. (laughs) This is a great solution. And um, she, so she is in, in it with them. And she thinks, okay, I've learned over the years how to make an inch for myself in all of these memories i can carve out a little part a little corner of my brain where i can try and be myself mm-hmm. and then because she's in it with everybody else everybody <laughs> is, can hear her thoughts and they're like how do you carve an inch for yourself like how do you do that you need to tell us how you do that because we're about to kill ourselves over here um <laughs> so she so she shows them and um, I think that's like maybe that's like kind of the culmination of uh, maybe that scene, mm-hmm. uh, because after that she's trying she's she's uh, with her with her mother and she's trying to think back, she's trying to go all the way back to a memory of being in the womb, and uh, she tries to find it she tries to find it she's having difficulty with it but then she realizes that oh I think I know how to do this, after that she goes and finds Ori. And she's waiting for her in the surface, and she's not coming. She calls out her name. She also says that her voice sounds really weird in the, on the surface, but like she's mm-hmm. just like calling out for her. And then Ori does show up after like weeks or something crazy like that. She shows up and uh, on her boat, and she jumps into the water with Yetu, and she gives her the gift of breathing underwater by reminding her how to do it because she's already done it in the womb. You know what I mean? And, like, I think that that is so cute. Addy, I think you had some problems with it. (laughs) You know what it is? To be fair, okay, it's been a while since I read it, um, but Mm -hmm. I can say when I first read it, it sounded like she finds Uri and then ocean magic makes... Uri able to breathe underwater. And I was like, I'm... Ah, right. Okay. It felt like a (laughs) cop-out. It didn't feel like a cop-out. It was more just like... It felt like a little bit of like a shift from the way that everything else was written. Because like, I was happy to like... Ah, interesting. Okay. At this point, it's not even that I'm like suspending disbelief. It's like suspending understanding. Like, I'm just like, I don't need to Uh understand how things work as long as I understand Uh what the story is about. Um, uh-huh, and at uh-huh. that point, I was like, I don't understand how she can just, like, why? This doesn't make any sense. Um, but also, mm-hmm. I was like, I want Uri and Yetu to be happy, so I'm not going to ask questions. Yeah. Um, but then, obviously, like, your explanation, I was like, okay, fine. I can kind of, because that's essentially how the Wajinru came to be in the first place, is that there was no disconnect yeah. between the, the mother's womb and the water. So they never learned mm-hmm. how to breathe air. They only ever knew how to breathe, like, underwater or, like, in... The idea is that the that the surface dwellers, the people, they don't remember how to breathe underwater yeah. because they're just they're born into air. Yeah. So if you're just born straight into the water, you're just like continuing that uh, mode of breathing. Yeah. Uh, obviously, with like the blessings of the water, because you know they have fins and stuff. Yeah. Um, and tails. But yeah, so uh, Yetu 
is in love with with Uri and decides to give her the gift of like remembering what it was like in the womb so that she can be a water breather yeah and um yeah so they can have like their little happily ever after i love this part i love the whole thing i honestly i I really like this book um no i really enjoyed it honestly i mm -hmm. really really liked it um i do think it's insane how quickly everybody falls in love with each other but like outside of that no it makes sense most of these relationships are gay let's be honest (laughs) that's true Let's be honest. Yeah, zero to one hundred. That's literally. What do you mean? Literally, all of them are gay. There's not a oh, yeah, straight. Yeah, yeah. There's not a straight person in this book. <laughs> I loved it. Um, For real. Yeah, it was great. I do. Um, I want to say one thing. So I think one of the questions that this uh, book asks as well is how much are we our memories and. Mm-hmm the memories of our parents and our ancestors. What lives in us that influences how we act without us being aware? Yeah. Which I think is a nice little question to pose, especially after the whole, like, um, okay, I'm going to share the memories with everybody else and um, uh, we're all going to keep the memories together instead of, like, there being one person. Um, but, yeah, that's an interesting question to ponder. I mean, I don't think there's a specific answer, but... Uh, there has been a lot of studies of uh, that talk about how, you know, uh, like ancestral trauma is like a big buzzword now on social media um, within certain communities. So I think that that's, uh, yeah, ties in pretty well. I think the thing that I found uh, interesting when it comes to like memory and like your ancestors' history is what does it mean when your like ancestral memory and like uh your ancestors history is like full of violence towards them yeah uh that's like you know it becomes like systemic obviously over time and like Mm -hmm. what it means to like obviously because i mentioned earlier how uh uri's experience can be like an allegory for the black american experience uh not having ties to your like um like your the, like the history and the and the culture of your like uh, uh, ancestors who were enslaved Africans, um, it's not just about having your ancestral uh, memories or like uh, ties to your history. It's knowing that so much of it is violence that was enacted on your yeah. ancestors, and how much of that do you want to associate with, and how much of that uh, like makes you who you are, and what does it mean yeah. that all of that violence makes you who you are. Like, who are we now yeah. because of the violence that our ancestors experienced? Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it definitely, like, asks... It, it makes me ask a lot of questions about, like, identity from, like, a... I guess, like, a racialized uh, perspective, but... This book doesn't make me feel bad for anyone for experiencing, like, racism or, like, systemic oppression because of... Like you said, because it's a uh, speculative fiction... It's like creating a different like story or like giving uh, like the descendants of the enslaved Africans who were thrown overboard uh, a hap- not a happier second story, life. Like, yeah, a second life. Um, mm. So I think like this book in a way is like resistance in, in that mm. way. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, I don't know if mm-hmm. I necessarily have the knowledge to talk about this, but I think if we're going to read this book and talk about it, we have to at least mention it. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. I just want to mention... Last thing, that the way that the Wajinru experience living in the deep waters, how they communicate, how they interact with each other, and, like, it's just very imaginative for mm-hmm. me, who knows nothing about, like, underwater communication. Yeah. It's, it, it, it felt very believable. Like, it's, it, it's a deeply sensory, like, sensory experience reading yeah. this book. I, yeah, I thought it was really cool how, like, uh, Solomon could write... <laughs> Uh, from the perspective of, again, these fictional, like, water creatures, like, like sea creatures, in a way that was like, I completely understand what's going on. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's this one part where she says, where, where Yetu is, like, fleeing the, the ceremony, and uh, she says she's so sensitive she could feel the salt was getting denser as the water pressure increased or, like, decreased or whatever. I was just like... How do you know this? Yeah. How do you know about, uh, like, uh, salt getting denser? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> or, like, how do you know what it feels like? 
Like, how do yeah. you know what it feels like to be a fictional sea creature? I don't know. It was very, like, yeah, yeah. good job. What would what, you say that you'd rate it? 3.5. But the more I talk about it, the more I want to give it a 4. But it's a 3.5. Solid This is 3. what happened 5. to me. This is what happened to me with the Pisces. I'm, I'm giving it... I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm giving it a three point eight. Okay. I thought it was really good. You keep giving things three point eight. <laughs> I almost gave the Pisces three point eight, but I gave it a four in the end. Okay. I kind of want to okay. give this a four, <laughs> to be honest. Look, the reason why I'm hesitating is because for some reason it took me so long to read this freaking book. <laughs> like, I could not pick it up unless I had the deadline of this podcast. Yeah. Um, and it, it's not like, I imagine this isn't you saying that the book is bad in any way. Um, absolutely. I, clearly, I loved it. Yeah. I do think, I agree with what you said about it being like, because it's not, it, it, I don't think it's a book that I would like, I would, it's a book that I'm either going to finish in one sitting or it's going to take me ages to get through it. Even yeah, though it's a short yeah, book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see that. I see that. There's just a lot going on for so little like for so few pages but. but all of it is like the pacing is great like yeah. you don't feel like it's rushing and you don't feel like it's slow it's happening it's unfolding beautifully um yeah i just think honestly i think it's like some kind of like adhd brain thing because it's like a <laughs> book that i had to read for the podcast it just took me forever to read it like yeah. if i if it was just like oh i picked this up i would have probably finished it like in a day but because it was like no you have to read this for the podcast yeah. it took me forever thanks for tuning in to our second episode of readers also enjoyed we hope we've kept you entertained and perhaps intrigued enough to read along with us next episode we will be reading into the drowning deep by mira grant mira grant yep if you have any thoughts that you'd like to share with us about the book or about the podcast, feel free to reach out to us on social media. That's what it's there for. At Readers Also Enjoyed on TikTok and on Instagram. Or please send us an email at readersalsoenjoyed at gmail.com. Oops. <laughs> uh, Till next time.